Well, good morning and welcome to our Easter online service. Uh, my name's Matt. I'm the pastor here of Tri-City Church. And whether you're a regular attender uh, with the church or have found us somehow online, it's really great to have you with us. Uh, for the next portion of our time together, we are going to look more closely at the story of Easter itself. Now, this is not a new story, obviously, but it is a unique story. And in fact, it's a very needed story for the moment we are in right now because uh, the story of Easter is, at its very root, a story of hope. In fact, it's a story of true hope for uncertain times. And the times we're in right now, it almost goes without saying, are very uncertain. Pretty much every aspect of our life now has a level of uncertainty that we didn't have before. We aren't, we aren't sure when we can go out of our homes again. We aren't... Uh, Sure, for some of us, uh, if we're going to have jobs to go back to once everything goes back to normal. Uh, We aren't sure about the disease itself, whether we're going to get it or someone we love. With all of this uncertainty uh, comes a desire for hope. Uh, All of us are looking for some some sign, some uh, hope that in the future things will get better. That's that's the nature of being in a time of, of crisis. And hope itself is something that we've already seen, actually, in the readings, uh, just in our worship time. Uh, John 1.5 was read, which said, The light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It's a very hopeful image. 1 Peter 1.3 simply says, makes reference to a living hope. And in fact, that is the, the hope of Easter. That's where we're going we're gonna to land at the end of our time together, is this idea of a, of a living hope. But for now, what I'd like to do is look at some other types of hope. And we're going to begin with false hope. See, ever since uh, the first stories came out of Wuhan, uh, ever since the first headlines that had the word pandemic in it, uh, most of us have been feeling a little concerned. And one of the first things that uh, many people did to try to address this concern, to try to find some comfort and hope, um, was to purchase a lot of a certain uh, household paper product. You know what I'm talking about. Talking about toilet paper. Uh, one of the first news stories that came out was that Costco, there's no toilet paper left. There's lineups. Everyone's looking for, for toilet paper. Now, uh, toilet paper itself, I think we all know, doesn't really bring us much comfort. Uh, maybe if you get the quilted kind, you know, it's, it's, it does. But really, when it comes to the coronavirus, it doesn't do much to protect us from it. But even still, people were buying cases and cases of toilet paper. Uh, so much so that there is a, uh, a website a developer that came up with a website that was just called HowMuchToiletPaper.com. And, and it's a very simple website. Uh, you'll see a, a screenshot of it there. Uh, I went through with my family. You input how many rolls of toilet paper you have in your house, how many people, how many times a day. You can see there seven people, about two times a day. We had 28 rolls in the, in the house, so it tells me then that our toilet paper will last us for 32 days, which is more than twice as long as we would need if we were actually quarantined for, for two weeks. And that's the whole point of the website. The creators made it so that people would see how ridiculous it is for us to be hoarding toilet paper. In fact, you could see toilet paper, you could say that's a prime example of a false hope because a false hope is something that makes us feel better uh, but doesn't actually do anything to help us in our time of need. I mean, we can, we can laugh at those people who have garages full of toilet paper, but, but we know that all of us have elevated levels of anxiety. All of us are looking for some sense of, of real hope in our future. And the problem is that very often the hope that we look to, while it is, it's not false hope, but a lot of the hopes we look to are, are limited. Limited in their scope, limited in their time frame, limited in their ability to actually help us. Uh, So let's look at limited hope. 
Uh, one of the news stories I was listening to on NPR was uh, from New York, which of course is one of the, the hardest hit areas in terms of uh, the COVID-19 infection. And um, the person being interviewed was uh, a manager for the emergency response team there, dealing with all the 911 calls and the emergency crews going out to respond. And he said that he'd never seen so many calls for help in his entire career. He said uh, one night last week, it was in the middle of the night, there were 240 calls uh, on wait. They're they're on standby waiting uh, for someone to be able to come and respond to them, like an ambulance or a fire truck. Uh, These were people who were calling with shortness of breath, difficulty breathing. And he said there was just no one else uh, who could go and help them. To make matters worse, he said that he knew that pretty much all of his team, all of his crews, had been exposed to COVID-19. And so he figured it was just a matter of time before there were fewer and fewer people who were going to be able to go and respond to these emergencies. It's a very desperate situation in many areas of the world like this. And as I listened to the story, um, I found myself uh, kind of as a, almost subconsciously finding hope in, in our situation here. See, I started thinking to myself, you know what, BC's in a much better position. Uh, BC, our response was quicker, Uh, We seem to have gone to sort of a lockdown mode uh, a lot more quickly, a lot more effectively. If you look at our our curve, it's flatter than the rest of of Canada. I thought about the fact that uh, most of the people that do get the virus uh, recover. And so as I was doing that and thinking, you know, in these terms, I did feel more hopeful. I felt comforted, but it wasn't a false hope. I mean, the things that I was thinking were actually true, uh, but they were limited hopes uh, for a couple of reasons. For one thing, we don't actually know if things are going to get more, uh, more serious here in BC or not. And for another thing, uh, we don't know if, if any one of us is going to get the disease or someone we know and love is going to get it. Uh, even though people, most people are recovering from the disease, there are about 50 people so far in our province alone who have died because of it. So there's a limited amount of hope when I think of the, just the safety of, of the circumstance that we're in. But there's another reason why my thoughts um, of hopefulness are limited. And that's because they, they all only had to do with the COVID-19 problem. See, there's one thing about hope. You can only truly have hope in life if it deals with all of your problems, if everything is accounted for. Uh, if you know that there won't be any more dangers or difficulties or trials, then you can, you can really have hope. And at times of crisis, it's easy to focus on the most immediate threat, but that may not be the most serious one. Let me give you an example. Um, I'm going to give you an example of of our most recent worldwide crisis apart from this one, and that's the the financial meltdown of 2008. Uh, That was the time when the housing market imploded, when the financial markets collapsed, and most of the, the major banks in the United States needed a bailout from the federal government. Well, there was one man named uh, Tim Geithner. He was in charge of the uh, he was the in charge of the New York uh, Federal Reserve, and so his job was to oversee all of the Wall Street banks. And uh, in September of 2008, he was dealing with the biggest problem that he had ever dealt with in his career, which was that Lehman Brothers, a major bank, was about to go bankrupt. And so he was he was dealing with his problem. The staff was dealing with his problem. But what he didn't realize is that there was an even bigger problem lurking in the shadows. It wasn't a bank that needed saving. It was an insurance company. See, AIG was a massive insurance company which had contracts with not just Lehman Brothers, but most of the other uh, banks on Wall Street. And their job uh, was to back up the banks when there was trouble. And of course, there was a lot of trouble in this moment. 
And see, AIG had contracts uh, to, to pay out to all of these banks to the tune of $2,000 billion. Just an, an insane amount of money. And AIG was beginning to see that they, they weren't going to be able to make good on these contracts. See, it was, it was a bigger issue, but for the moment, Tim Geithner and his team, they were focused on what already they thought was a big problem, and it was. They were working all through the weekend, dealing with his Lehman Brothers, trying to figure out how they could get the money into their hands so the, the bank would remain solvent. It wasn't until the Sunday of this, this kind of final weekend, this final push, that they began to realize what was going on with AIG and realize that there was an even bigger problem going on and and one of his staff, Tim Geithner's staff, simply said, how could we possibly have spent the last 72 hours working on the wrong problem? See, it wasn't that it wasn't a problem. Lehman Brothers was a big problem. It's just that it wasn't the biggest problem. It wasn't where they should have focused all of their, their time and energy. And see, it's not that COVID-19 is not a problem. Of course it is. But it's not our only problem. And it's not even our biggest one. So you can only really have true hope if you know the full truth about your situation. And one of the uniquely helpful things about the Easter story is that it tells us the true hope for humanity because it tells us the true problem of humanity. It highlights for us the thing that is our biggest problem, the thing that we should be focusing all of our energy and attention on. So let's turn to, to true hope. We've heard false hope, limited hope, and now true hope. It's interesting. Uh, Jesus brings up this issue of truth uh, right in the middle of the events of Easter. Uh, Good Friday is, is when Jesus, he had been arrested by the Jewish religious leaders. He'd gone through their trial system and, and they wanted to put him to death. They saw him as a threat, saw that he was speaking, they thought, blasphemies against God and that he was leading, a, in a sense, a rebellion. But to have him put to death, they needed approval from Rome. And so they, they brought him to the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. And when he arrived there, a pilot began to interrogate him, ask him questions. And, and Pilate's main concern was whether um, Jesus was a threat to Rome. And so we asked him the most obvious question, you know, are you a king? Do you think you're a king? Are you, are you going to lead a rebellion that's going to somehow try to, try to confront Rome? And, and Jesus answers very clearly. He says, uh, in a sense, yes, I am a king. But, but then, then he goes on to speak about truth. You see this in John 18, 37. He says to Pilate, you say that I am a king. For this purpose, I was born. And for this person, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Now, Pilate isn't much interested in the last part of his response. He kind of brushes it aside by saying, what is truth? But I've always found it fascinating that, that at this moment, this crucial moment of Jesus' his impending death, he begins to speak about truth. And not just truth in terms of his guilt or innocence, he's talking about big picture truth. Truth that he says is important for every human being. He says, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And this isn't the first time that he's spoken this way. Uh, earlier on in John 8, he says this, he says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So what is this truth that Jesus is speaking about that if we know it, we will be set free? Well, what Jesus says, what in fact we see throughout the Bible, is that the problems of humanity are bigger than we imagine them to be. 
In fact, bigger than a virus, bigger than a global pandemic, bigger than the economic fallout that's going to come from all of this, our biggest problem is so big that we don't really even see it as a problem that can be solved anymore. We've just accepted it as part of life. And of course, what I'm, what I'm talking about is death. Humanity's biggest problem is death itself. Jesus actually spent a lot of time speaking about life and death and, and teaching on it. But there's one moment, one event that really highlighted the importance of, of the problem of death. And that was when one of Jesus' friends uh, was sick and dying. Uh, his friend's name was Lazarus, and uh, Jesus wasn't actually with Lazarus. He was a few towns over. Uh, but the people who were with Lazarus uh, knew Jesus, and they knew that Jesus had healed many people, so they sent a messenger. And when the messenger came to find Jesus, he, he said, look, you've got to come quick. Lazarus is, is sick. He's dying. He, he needs your help. But Jesus surprised everyone by, by not getting up, by not doing anything. In fact, the Bible says Jesus waited where he was for two more days, which was time enough for Lazarus to decline and to die and even to be buried. And finally, after two days' time, Jesus, Jesus stood up and, and said to his disciples, we're going to go and, and see Lazarus. And his disciples began to question Jesus, saying, why are we going now? And look at how Jesus responds. This is John chapter 11. He says, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. And when he does go to him, he, he does something that no one even thought was possible. He raises Lazarus from the dead. I mean, he goes and there's the, the tomb there. He tells him to roll away the stone. All the stench of rotting flesh comes out at everyone. And he just speaks, Lazarus, come out. And he walks out of the grave. See, this is why Jesus wasn't concerned about the sickness. He knew that the real issue for humanity was death. And he knew that if he could bring hope into the, the real issue, the worst issue for human beings, that that he would be able to offer us true hope. In fact, when Lazarus walked out of his tomb, people realized that there was a level of hopefulness in life that they had never even imagined was possible. It strikes me that that we are really like Lazarus' friend right now. I mean, his friends, they wanted, they wanted the best for him. They went to find Jesus so they could be healed before he died. Right now, humanity is responding to the COVID-19 crisis in the best way that we can imagine. And that's a vaccine. I mean, there's a lot of safety measures we're trying to put in place, but really, really what we're, we're hoping in is a vaccine. I'm not sure if you saw the, the news release, the announcement from Bill Gates this week. Uh, his foundation is planning on spending uh, several billion dollars funding seven factories to produce different vaccines uh, to deal with COVID-19, even though he says probably only one or two of them are actually going to work. Now, normally, the, the right way to do this, the cheaper way, would be to do all the testing of the vaccines and then ramp up production. But because time is of the essence, he's willing to, to waste, in a sense, billions of dollars to make sure that we have the vaccine as soon as we can get it. And, I mean... That's amazing. That's an amazing you know, display of, of generosity. It's an amazing use of resources. And, and I think he's, he's right when he says it's really not a waste. We need to get the vaccine as soon as we can. We need people to be healed and, and protected as soon as they can. Jesus himself healed many, many people. It's, it's a good thing to get a vaccine. Not a false hope at all. But it is a limited hope. 
Because let's say we get a vaccine and everyone on the planet is vaccinated. The world is cured of, of COVID-19. Are we safe then? Have all our problems been solved? Well, in the short term, we could say yes. We've, the main problem that we're dealing with has, has been fixed. But in the long term, the answer is no. Because the bigger problem is still out there. Death is still coming for everyone. It is the plague that affects 100% of the people 100% of the time. The Bible says that the last enemy to be destroyed is death. So unless we have an answer to death, we, we don't have true hope. Again, this is where the story of Easter is uniquely helpful. Because it reveals not just the truth about us as human beings, but also the truth about death. The truth it reveals, though, is, is difficult to accept for many of us. See, what it says is, is essentially that death is not something that affects us from out there. It's something that afflicts us from within. The Easter story, in fact, the whole of the Bible makes clear that we are ultimately responsible for our own death. Now, when it comes to our physical health, we understand how this works. Uh, for example, if you knew someone who ate fast food, uh, three meals a day, smoked a pack of cigarettes, washed it down with hard liquor, you wouldn't be surprised if you found out they had heart disease or lung disease or liver failure. In fact, if you knew this person and you cared about them, you would probably say something like, look, you've you got to stop doing this. You're, you're going to kill yourself. Because we know there's a really clear connection between our, our physical health and death. But actually, the Bible says there's an even stronger connection between our moral or spiritual health and death. In fact, there was no death until human beings sinned and went against the moral commands of God. We see this in Romans 5.12, where it says, Sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men, all human beings, because all sinned. The word spread there uh, really does give the sense that sin is like, like a virus. Not a physical disease that's, you know, passed through contact, but a spiritual or moral disease. One that is passed down genetically from generation to generation. And it all began with the first human being, with Adam. He and Eve were warned by God that if they disobeyed him and disobeyed his commands in the Garden of Eden, that the end result would be death. Not because God enjoyed giving harsh penalties, but because he is just and good. And because there needed to be an answer to every evil in the universe that he made. Now at this point, uh, some of us may be tempted to just, you know, dismiss the Easter story outright. I mean, if the Easter story is connected to, to Adam and Eve and some of those, in our minds, archaic religious stories about how the world began, then, then how can we take it seriously? But you know, if there's one thing, if there's one thing that's blatantly obvious about humanity, it's what the Bible calls our sin nature. Our vast array of moral failings and character flaws. In fact, right now, in this time of crisis, uh, the fullness of human characters is on display for all to see. Uh, we are experiencing the best and the worst of what it means to be human. On the one hand, we're seeing just some outstanding displays of generosity and kindness and selflessness. I'm not sure if you've seen on YouTube, there's a, 
There's a new show that's uh, been made by John Krasinski. He's the guy from The Office, and he's made a little new show uh, in his den at home called Some Good News. And basically, it's just him uh, telling news stories, good news stories that people have sent him on Twitter. And they're, I mean, they're fantastic. Uh, one of the stories is about a, a young teenage girl who finished her treatments from leukemia, and all of her friends and family uh, wanted to have a party, but they couldn't have a party because you can't get all together. So what they did is uh, they lined the streets of her neighborhood all separated, but as she drove back towards her home, uh, you could see all these people cheering and, and shouting, basically saying, we love you, we're so glad that the treatments are done. It's amazing. But the top story, the top good news story, one that we already know was about our, our wonderful healthcare workers, those doctors and nurses and people working in the hospitals. Uh, he showed footage of everyone cheering for their healthcare workers all across the country, just so thankful for those who are putting themselves on the line to care for those in the COVID wards and any other sicknesses that, are, that exist right now. See, there is some good news. In fact, there's a lot of good news if you know where to look. But there's also a reason why the show is not on a major news network. See, John Krasinski, he's, he's not covering the full story of humanity. And, and of course, he knows that. I mean, that's the whole reason he's doing a show called Some Good News, because most of the time, the news is not that good. The truth uh, about humanity, sadly, is that our kindness is greatly overshadowed by our selfishness and our sin. And this also we can see during this time of crisis. A friend of mine owns a few restaurants that he's had to close them down, but he's also uh, said he had to board up the windows uh, because people were breaking into the restaurants and stealing food now that they know that no one is around. Um, there's more and more examples that I've seen of, of people getting angry at each other for those that are not following the physical distancing measures or not doing things right. People are getting upset, frustrated at each other. Uh, if you're part of a family living at home in isolation and close proximity, you know how quickly we become uh, irritable and short-tempered with each other. In fact, I'm starting to see some news stories about uh, whether it's, it's more dangerous for some people to, people to be living at home uh, in abusive relationships rather than being exposed uh, to the virus itself. See, if we're honest, we would admit that there is evil and selfishness in the human heart. We feel it. We see it. Most of the time, uh, we can shrug it off. What do we say? We say to each other, look, nobody's perfect, right? Everyone we know has flaws. Everyone does things wrong. Everyone makes mistakes. It's what it means to, to be human. And when we say that, we feel better about ourselves because we know we're not the only ones. But you know, the Bible points out a connection that we should take note of. See, sin and death, they always go together. And it's not just a, uh, a statistical correlation. There's actually a causal connection between sin and death. Romans 6.23 says simply this, the wages of sin is death. Meaning that every instance of wrongdoing, every, every lie, every deception, every lustful thought, every prideful thought, every corrupt action that we do or even think of, of doing they all lead to the same consequence, and that is death. That's the bad news about, about being human. And that's the reason that we can't fix this problem of death on our own, because we are the source of the problem. But this is where the, the Easter story changes things dramatically for us. 
Because even though we aren't perfect, even though we, we can say nobody's perfect, that's not actually true. See, Jesus, he was perfect. And he was one of us. In fact, we see the perfection of Jesus in the Easter story itself. Uh, after Pilate uh, had finished interrogating Jesus, he goes and he, he proclaims his verdict. And his verdict is found in John 18, 38. He simply says, I find no guilt in him. In fact, he, re he repeats it three times throughout the Easter story. So for all of the tensions that Jesus has stirred up, for all of the people that he's made angry, there's no one around who can actually find anything that he has done wrong. And it's not just an issue of him being a law-abiding citizen. They can't even find the smallest moral failing in him. And this isn't just an anomaly. The perfection of Jesus reveals the truth about who he is, not just a good man, not just a man sent from God. He, he is the son of God. He is divine. And so be, because he was perfect, because he was divine, he was able to open up a door to hope that had remained locked since the time of Adam. See, with Jesus, with Jesus, there was no sin, and so there should have been no death. And yet, central to the events of the Easter story is that Jesus was put to death on a cross. At the time, at the time, his followers had thought that everything had gone horribly wrong. This man who had done so many wonderful things, taught so many wonderful things, healed people, done miracles, they couldn't believe that he would endure a criminal's death. But Jesus wasn't enduring death. He was conquering it on our behalf. He allowed himself to go to the cross so that he would take the penalty that we deserve, all of our sin, all of our death upon himself. He did it so that we would be able to have hope even in the midst of death. This is what we see in that same verse which began, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the hope of Easter. In fact, today, today we, we call it Easter Sunday, but another name for it is Resurrection Sunday. And that's because this is the day that Jesus rose from the dead to everlasting life. Historian, historians of that time recorded the events of the crucifixion in great detail. They recorded the, the trial, of the crucifixion, uh, Jesus being buried in the tomb, and then Jesus coming back to life and showing himself, revealing himself in the flesh to hundreds and hundreds of people. This really is the essence of the hope of the Easter story. Not just that Jesus lived, not just that he died, not even just that he rose to life again. The hope of the Easter story is that he's still alive. He's still alive right now, thousands of years later, up in heaven, ruling and reigning over the entire world, over each of our lives, even over the pandemic that's eclipsing the globe. See, the question that is very often asked in times of crisis is if there's a God, why isn't he doing something? Do doesn't he know what's going on? Isn't he aware of the virus? Why doesn't he stop it? But a better question would be this. What kind of a God would he be if that's all he did to help us? If that's all that God did to bring us hope was to bring an alleviation to this immediate issue, then what kind of help would that ultimately bring us? What kind of hope would it ultimately bring? See, my favorite good news story that uh, John Krasinski uh, put up in his, in his show was about a man. 
It was just a, a picture, an image of a man standing at the window of an emergency room. And he was holding up a sign. He couldn't go in because of the, all the quarantine regulations, but, but he wanted desperately to communicate something to the staff. And on the sign, it just said, thank you for saving my wife's life. And you can just see the, the emotion on his faith. He's so very thankful because they gave him everything that he had hoped for. I mean, we don't know if his wife was sick with COVID or something else, but because of their efforts, his wife was alive. That, that's what he was hoping for. That's what he wanted, more time with his wife. But of course, true hope for them would, would be not just hope for the here and now, not just life for now, not just life for 80 or 90 years, but life forever. And that's exactly what we have in Jesus. That's the hope that he offers to each one of us. For those of us who know him, we're rejoicing and celebrating today because we, we have that hope. We're being reminded of it. But I would invite those of you who don't yet have this hope, that if you put your faith in Jesus, that's the access point, trusting in the finished work of Jesus on the cross, that he died in your place and that he rose again, that this living hope can also be yours. I'm going to end by reading one of the most beautiful articulations of this hope uh, from a verse that we touched on earlier. 1 Peter 1.3 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. May we all have that hope today in all the different situations for wherever we are, knowing that God is with us and that he has done everything necessary for us to have hope in every single situation of life. Let me pray. Lord God, I thank you for the story of Easter. I thank you that indeed it is a story of hope for we need stories of hope. Not just stories, Lord, but, but truths. Truths that connect us with your hope and your life. Jesus, I pray for everyone listening. God, would you, would you move in our hearts, move in our minds? Would you bring hope? Would you bring comfort? Would you bring peace and joy even in the midst of our isolation? Even in the midst of the difficulties of this crisis? I pray especially, Lord, that you would draw us near to you. We do pray, Lord. We pray for an end to the COVID-19 crisis. We pray for a vaccine. We pray for everyone who's working on it, Lord. We thank you for them. But in the meantime, God, we pray that you would use this to open our eyes and our hearts to see the depth of your love and the extent of your sacrifice for us on the cross, Jesus. I pray this in your name. Amen.